Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast Movie Review. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out. Today we're looking at Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And I just reviewed Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So go back and check that one out as I go through this amazing original trilogy. Okay, let's get right into it. So, of course, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 1984, American action adventure film directed by Steven Spielberg, second in the installment. We're going to look at the basic plot. We're going to look at some behind-the-scenes things uh, and explore some of the various themes throughout the movie. So plot-wise, the year's 1935. Indiana Jones has narrowly escaped the clutches of a crime boss in Shanghai, China, with an 11-year-old Chinese sidekick named Short Round. He also runs into nightclub singer Willie Scott, and they end up fleeing Shanghai on an airplane as they've been attacked. Unbeknownst to them, uh, the airplane is owned by the actual crime boss who is trying to attack them. So while the three of them are asleep on the plane, the pilots dump the fuel and then they parachute, parachute out, leaving the plane to crash over the Himalayas. So Indiana, um, little short round and Willie discover the sabotage and they are able to narrowly escape by jumping out of the plane on an inflatable raft just before the plane crashes in the mountainside. They then ride down the mountain slopes, uh, fall into a river, eventually arrive at the village of Mayapur in northern India. So the villagers believe that the three of them have been sent by Shiva to retrieve the sacred uh, lingam, which is a, a stone that had been stolen from their shrine, as well as some of the, the community's children who have gone missing. Uh, there's, They've been taken or the stone has been taken by evil forces that live in a palace nearby. So the place is called Pankot. So during the journey to Pankot, Indy um, hypothesizes that the stone may be one of uh, f- one of the five fabled Sankara stones, and they are known to promise fortune and glory, and they have mythical aspects to it. So the trio arrives. They get a warm welcome from the prime minister at the palace, um, named, what was it, Chaturla. The Visitors are allowed to stay for the night as guests, and they go to this lavish but very grotesque banquet given by the young Maharaja named Zalim Singh. Um, they, you know, Indiana starts questioning about the villagers' claims and stuff like that, and they brush it off and say that the ancient uh, Thugi cult is responsible for all those troubles. So then that night, Indiana is attacked by assassin, and that leads, you know, Indiana to figure out something is not right here. So Indian is able to kill the assassin. Then they discover a series of tunnels hidden beneath a statue in Willie's room, and then they go to explore them and, you know, run into the inevitable booby traps. The trio then reach this underground temple where all these, um, the, the Thogis are worshiping Kali and they're doing it with human sacrifice, which we'll get into later. So they watch as they chain one of the victims in a cage. Uh, and then the high priest is able to rip out the victim's still beating heart. So while the victim is alive, he is slowly lowered into a lava pit and then burned alive with his heart held um, in hand as he's being watched burn. So they discover that the, that Mullah Ram and the, the, the Thuggies are in possession of three of the five Sankara stones, which were hidden in the catacombs by 
a priest, when the British raided the temple to put an end to the activities, they've then enslaved the children to mine for the last um, two of those stones, which they believe are, are around there somewhere, as well as, you know, mining and finding jewels to fund their operation. So they're all captured, and Indy is forced to drink this uh potion called the blood of Kali. It makes him enter a trance and then he ends up like mindlessly serving them. Willie's prepared for sacrifice. Short round is whipped and put to work in the mines alongside the children. Shorty breaks free and escapes back in the temple where he burns Indy with a torch that brings him back to his senses. They fight off the guards and then they get Willie out just in time to save her from a fire while the that Mola Ram escapes via trapdoor under the Sankara stones altar. And you get those stones and the three return to the mines to free the children. So Indy fights this giant guy again, which tends to happen in the movies. He tries to cripple him with a voodoo doll at the same time. Short round knocks the doll away, breaks him from the trance, and they uh, restored Indiana, escapes and leaves the overseer to die in a steamroller, another classic shot. Singh then tells Short Round how to get out of the mind, uh, that young Maharaja Singh. The trio escape, and then they are able to get out during this amazing sort of minecart roller coaster race while they're pursued. They get out to uh, ba- barely escaping. They're ambushed by uh, Mola Ram and his henchmen on a rope bridge above this crocodile infested river. Indy cuts the bridge in half with a sword. Everyone's hanging on for their lives. He and then Molaram, they fight over the stones. He invokes the name of Shiva by proclaiming him to be a traitor, and that causes them to glow white hot. Molaram burns his hand on the stones, like we've seen in the first one, causes him to lose his grip, and he falls and is devoured by the crocodiles below. So losing two, Indy catches the last stone safely and climbs up just as the British Indi- Indian Army riflemen come who were summoned by Young Singh. They open fire on the thuggy archers that have been trying to shoot Indiana. Uh, they gain the upper hand. The British Indian Army quickly dispatches the thuggies and forces them to flee. Then Indiana Willie and Short Round return to Mayapur with the children and they give the missing stone back to the villagers. So let's look at a few of the, just like sort of the production and everything that went behind this movie. So we're coming out of Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is one of the biggest movies of all time at that point. So Indiana Jones is obviously a hot property, but things take kind of a messy turn going into this inevitable sequel. To me, as I've just rewatched all these, this is my least favorite of the trilogy, And I personally just find the movie a little rushed. I find the acting is not great. Uh, Even the editing seems very harsh and abrupt, like they're just trying to get through this thing. The middle third of the movie, to me, doesn't hold up. The, The ending... Is really good though. That, like I said, that minecart roller coaster scene is still like astonishing to this day how well that is done considering the technical limitations at the time. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? 
did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Like this is 1984, but the these, you know, special effects and stuff have, have advanced quite well from where they were in 1981. And this, this scene is just amazing. A lot of the issues with this movie tend to come down to what was going on in real life with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Both were going through some pretty harsh life changes, including divorces and breakups. And they were pretty um, affected and, and sort of like traumatized by all these things that were negatively impacting, impacting their lives. And to me, this is reflected in the product on the screen. And then that big issue also has to do with the violence in this movie. So Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was no Sunday picnic. You know, a lot of people complain about the amount of violence and gore in what was a PG rated movie, but this was nothing compared to the Temple of Doom. In, again, like Indiana Jones had this massive kid audience and parents were horrified at what they saw on the screen when they went to see the Temple of Dune, Doom. And again, a lot of this violence and darkness was a reflection of the darkness going on in the lives of Lucas and Spielberg, which they both claim was an actual issue and has been portrayed on the screen. This would actually change movies forever. Due to the traumatizing images of a PG movie, the Temple of Doom would be responsible for ushering in a new era of film rating, PG-13. And I've done a whole show that goes way more in depth on the history of uh, the PG-13 rating. But this new rating would end up being the most profitable in history as directors could now push the boundaries and families would know what the intended audience now was. And fun fact, what was the first movie to use a PG-13 rating after Temple of Doom? Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze. Okay, let's look at a few behind-the-scenes things. So Spielberg initially wanted the character of Marion to return, but it was thought that the girl should change from film to film in sort of a nod to James Bond, which Indiana Jones is kind of like. Another nod to him, uh, to James Bond, is uh, Indy wearing the white tuxedo at the start of the movie. The opening sequence was... A very ambitious and sounded amazing. It was going to involve a motorcycle chase along the Great Wall of China, but the Chinese government nicks that idea. Hopefully most people know this, but the club that they go to from the start of the movie is called Club Obi-Wan. The actor who played Short Round wasn't even auditioning for the movie. He had tagged along with his older brother, who was the one trying out. They ended up liking him more, even though he wasn't an actor, which was a big thing with George Lucas. Even Spielberg taking unestablished actors and sort of molding them into what they're looking for for the movie. Um, other things, the real, it was actually real bugs used in this movie. The amount of cockroaches, beetles, the snakes. So there were 50,000 cockroaches and 30,000 beetles bred just for this movie. Harrison Ford was severely injured while filming this partly in one of the scenes with the elephants and then in another stunt sequence where he fell back and really ruptured a disc in his back. He had to fly back to the States for emergency surgery to repair this disc. So they didn't want to delay the filming. So what they did is they brought actually Harrison Ford lookalike who happened to be his stunt double named Vic Armstrong in and they would use him for more distant shots so they could keep it going. So the actual final cut of the movie features 80% of Harrison Ford and 20% of the movie is actually Vic Armstrong. 
So the movie comes out on May 8th, 1984. It makes a record-breaking $45.7 million in its first week, which converted for today is around $113 million. And again, as I'll always mention in any 80s movie review, these movies open on way fewer screens than they do today. It would end up being the year's highest-grossing movie, making $333 million, which converted for today is around $820 million. But it would actually be the third-highest-grossing movie in North America behind Beverly Hills Cop and Ghostbusters. So 1984 was a good year for movies. So let's look at some of the themes. And I think, so obviously... the idea of darkness and violence is one of the main themes as we've discussed as it pertains to the life events of Spielberg and Lucas. But there are a few caveats to how, you know, darkness and violence exists in life. The use, in, in accordance to the movie, the use of violence and and darkness and, and everything like that, it's only used when absolutely necessary. And you know, for the good guys, it's done in retaliation. If you notice, Indiana Jones will never attack unless he's provoked, sort of a Greedo shot first scenario. But the idea being violence and darkness exist among us, and there is no escaping that. It's more how you react to it and is, and exist amongst them. Um, some other themes, kind of a, you know, a theme about man and the natural world, which is explored through all the Indiana Jones movies. Sometimes the natural world becomes an obstacle. Sometimes it's able to help you rather than hinder you, hinder you though. There's also, you know, a lot of interaction with animals over the course of the Temple of Doom, which again shows how man has to coexist with the natural world. So some pretty basic themes, but, you know, again, ones that were um, rooted in reality. So that's a basic rundown of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Like I said, not my favorite at all of the trilogy. And as of watching it back again, like I, I don't think I'd watched it in a few years till I rewatched it. And I just, I remember it like wanting to end, you know, especially through that middle third part. And you're just like, I don't know, you're just not as invested in it. Um, not that the violence is distracting per se. I, I, don't really think it is, say, compared to some horror movies. But then if you think you're watching a PG movie, yeah, it, it's it's pretty violent. But again, like, it just seems too, to me, too sort of um, jittery, too, like, stuttering. Like, the movie doesn't flow well like Raiders of the Lost Ark did. It's like, not that I know anything about this, but, like, it, the editing felt very abrupt. Like, nothing was smooth. And again, like, the, I didn't feel the acting was that great in it. It just, to me, everything felt rushed, but maybe that was, you know, indicative of what was going on behind the scenes. So things, you know, they've gone a little off track with the Indiana Jones franchise, but the third installment would erase all that uncertainty and take the franchise to a whole new level. And we'll be back with that very soon. So thank you for checking this episode out. I hope you liked it. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this show. I know there's a ton of different podcasts out there. So the fact you're taking this time means a lot. So I'll be back very soon. Don't you dare miss it.